Welcome to the St. Andrew's Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. You can connect with us online at www.gosaintandrew.com. In the year 386, a young pagan named Augustine was converted to Christianity by reading two verses from Paul's letter to the Romans. Afterwards, Augustine wrote, I had no wish to read further. There was no need, for it was as though my heart was filled with a light of confidence and all the shadows of doubt were swept away. Eleven centuries later, in 1515, the Protestant Reformation was set in motion by a young Augustinian monk, Martin Luther, after reading another text from Romans. Luther later called the letter a gate of heaven and testified that through reading it, he had felt himself, quote, to be reborn and have gone through open doors into paradise. A couple of centuries later, in 1738, a young Anglican, John Wesley, heard a church leader read aloud a commentary on Romans that Martin Luther had written. It was a turning point in Wesley's life. I felt my heart strangely warmed, he later wrote, of the experience in his journal. I felt that I did trust in Christ, Christ alone, for my salvation. This eloquent letter from Paul, written somewhere between 55 and 58 CE, has held a special place of influence in the history of the church. In today's reading, we hear Paul providing sound instruction and gentle words of encouragement to his readers and all of us. Let us turn now and hear what Paul has to say to his Roman audience and all of us. Today's reading is from Romans 12, 3, and 15 and 16 from the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. If you look back on your childhood, you'll remember that as kids, there were basically two types of situations that we'd most often find ourselves in at any given time. On the one hand, we had what we might call the me first situations. Do you remember those situations? You're standing with your siblings in the kitchen after dinner while mom is scooping up the chunky monkey ice cream. And what's the first thing out of your mouth? Me first. 
Or dad is out front watering down a slip and slide on a hot summer's day, and all at once every kid in the neighborhood shows up in a swimsuit and joins that unending chorus, me first. We declared me first because we wanted the best selection, the biggest piece, the most attention, and of course, we wanted to be the envy of all who had to wait their turn. Winning the Me First competition made us feel as if, just for one moment, we were the most important person in the world. But as kids, we also learned that there are some situations where you definitely don't want to be first. These are the you-go-ahead situations, right? And the key to life is knowing the difference between a me-first situation and a you-go-ahead situation. You-go-ahead was the mantra we used to avoid the last serving of broccoli at the dinner table. You go ahead. We use it to let our best friend determine the lake temperature at camp. You go ahead. Or to delay jumping from the high dive at the community pool. Or to let your lab partner determine just how bad that formaldehyde actually smelled. You go ahead. And part of perfecting your response in a you-go-ahead scenario depended on a careful delivery of that crucial line. Say it too quickly or too enthusiastically, and you all but guaranteed that it would turn into an unwanted me-first moment. You-go-ahead had to be voiced with just the right amount of hesitation, just a hint of humility. No, no, really, you-go-ahead. We said you-go-ahead whenever we were afraid of taking the risk or looking cowardly or suffering some indignity or experiencing the unknown. It brought us, bought us just a little bit of time to prepare ourselves for when it actually became our turn. Do we ever grow out of that me first mentality? Even as adults, we're inclined to think primarily about ourselves first. Our needs, our desires, our problems, our injuries. We can be told over and over again, it's not all about you. But it's quite another thing to actually believe it. As we continue our series on the peace prayer, we come to the line in the prayer that speaks of this need to transcend our me-first attitude if we're ever to become God's instruments of peace. The line of the prayer says, let me not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. This line calls us to adopt a more generous version of the you-go-ahead mindset in our relationships and the world, a mindset that comes with a spirit of humility and that puts others first. Peace in the world, peace in our relationships is only possible when we are willing to sideline our own personal needs and agendas, at least temporarily, and prioritize those of others. How do we transcend the me first mindset? The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Romans, says it begins by being transformed. Do not be conformed to this world, but be 
transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The Greek word that Paul uses for this transformation is metamorphuse. It's the word from which we get metamorphosis. It means to be changed in form, not just in spirit, not just in some mystical, spiritual way, but in very real, visible, physical ways. It's transformation of our inner life and our outward way of life. And it happens by the inward grace that God works in us, but it also happens by the outward and visible grace that we work in the world. This is such an important distinction today. Because so many Christians will say, I've been saved. But the truth is that we are being saved continually over the course of our lives. Getting saved in the Christian sense of the word doesn't make us better Christians any more than getting saved from drowning makes us a better swimmer. A transformation must follow. And this transformation is a lifelong commitment. It begins, of course, when God redeems or, as some would say, saves us, but it's only completed or perfected by our living lives that imitate Christ, thinking like Christ, acting like Christ. Over time, this Christ-like way of thinking and acting completes the work that God is doing in us. It changes what's on the inside, our hearts, our attitudes, our whole being. This is the work that God does in us as we do God's work in the world. And the effect of this transforming work, this metamorphosis, is that we finally take on the mind of Christ, where the me-first mentality falls away and the you-go-ahead mindset takes over. This is why Paul, in our passage today, tells us that we must work on a few things if this transformation is to be completed and the you-go-ahead mindset of Christ is to take over in us. He says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Be happy with those who are happy and cry with those who are crying. And consider everyone as equal. Don't think that you're better than anyone else. These simple instructions for becoming more like Christ. Don't think too highly of yourself. Empathize with others and treat everyone as your equal. In this brief passage, Paul gives us a template for how to live out this line of the prayer that says, let me not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love to console, to understand, to love like Christ. What does this look like according to Paul's teaching? To console like Christ is, as Paul puts it in our passage, it's to weep with those who weep. At the heart of Christ-like consolation is empathy, the capacity to feel another's pain to walk in another's shoes, to be present in such a way that 
you create space for peace and healing. It looks like the Good Samaritan who sees a stranger beaten and left for dead in a ditch and is moved to respond with compassion. Why? Because he can only imagine what it must feel like to be that hurting man. It's empathy. It looks like the father who welcomes back his wayward prodigal son after so much heartache. A father who doesn't judge, doesn't condemn, doesn't even ask questions because the father knows it's not about him. Empathy. It looks like Jesus who weeps when he learns of the death of his friend, Lazarus, because he loved him. To console is to transcend a me-first mentality that wants to be the fixer of everything. The hero, the problem solver, the answer man. It's to adopt a go-ahead mindset that creates space for unanswerable questions, for grief and genuine sorrow, for unresolved, messy emotions. Years ago, I had worked late into the evening at the church. Uh, I finally pulled out of the parking lot somewhere around midnight and began to make my way home. And along the way, I approached a half dozen cars or so parked on the side of the road where a handful of teenagers were huddling around a few burning candles and a makeshift memorial where a boy had died in an accident the night before. The story had made the news. I knew of it. I don't know what it was, but something compelled me to pull over and to join this huddle of complete strangers. I walked toward them and read the white poster board sign. The boy's name was James. I looked up at the huddle of teenagers and said softly, I'm a pastor. I, I just wanted to see how you're all doing. They proceeded to tell me the story of how James had died. Right here, said one of them, pointing to the pavement. James, they said, was kind, smart, and funny. Some of them were crying, some of them were angry. None of them could get their minds around the idea that their friend was gone. I didn't say much, actually. I mostly just listened for maybe a half an hour or so. Then one of the boys looked up at me and said, I wonder if he kissed his mom before he left the house. I nodded. Another one asked, do you think he's with God now? Yes, I believe he is, I said. Another asked, why did God let this happen? I don't know, I said. It's such a terrible tragedy. I'm so sorry. As we huddled around the candles in the dark silence, one of the girls finally said, Pastor, will you say a prayer for us? And so right there we held hands, strangers on the side of the road, and we prayed. Sometimes we can say too much. Sometimes all we have to do is weep with those who weep and make space for God to do the work. Let me 
not so much seek to be consoled as to console. And then the prayer continues to be understood as to understand. The me first mentality always wants to be understood, to be right, to have a last word. Maybe you've had one of those arguments or disagreements with someone. You know, when you see that you're not really getting anywhere, you finally throw up your hands or whatever you do when you realize that you've just run out of ammunition. And you say, you just don't understand me. Or you don't understand what I'm going through. Isn't that usually just code for my stuff is more important than your stuff? My pain, my grievance, my injury, my story. You just don't understand. But the you-go-ahead mindset of Jesus completely redefines what it means to understand. Time and again, the crowds didn't understand what Jesus was ever teaching. Even his own disciples were slow to catch on. It didn't help that Jesus often spoke in parables and metaphors and riddles. His followers and disciples were often exasperated. What's he talking about? What does he mean? We don't understand this guy. Jesus was constantly misunderstood. But there came this powerful moment in Scripture when Jesus gave his students one last lesson. He gathered his disciples in a little room in Jerusalem in a matter of hours, he would be betrayed and arrested. There was no time now for riddles or parables. Instead, Jesus wrapped the towel around his waist and he filled a basin of water and he washed their feet. And then he said to them plainly, I have set you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Very truly, I tell you, servants are not greater than their master. And here in this scene, we see the brilliance, the wisdom of Jesus, who knew that the only way the world would really ever understand him is if he stood under others. This is the true meaning of understanding, to stand under. It's to willingly take the lower place, to wash feet, to serve others with humility as a sign of love. Do you remember that wonderful film, The Princess Bride, about the beautiful girl Buttercup, who's to be married to a cruel prince, but who's really in love with her servant, Wesley? As the grandfather begins to narrate the fairy tale to his grandson one afternoon, he says, Nothing gave Buttercup as much pleasure as ordering Wesley around. Farm boy, she says, polish my horse's saddle. I want to see my face shining in it by morning. And Wesley replies, as you wish. The grandfather says, as you wish was all Wesley ever said to her. Farm boy, fill these buckets with water, please as you wish. Farm boy, fetch me that pitcher, as you wish. And the grandfather says, that day, Buttercup was amazed to discover that when Wesley was saying, as you wish, what he was 
really saying was, I love you. And even more amazing was the day she realized she truly loved him back. To understand is to stand under. And only when we stand under and serve are we ever truly understood. Help me not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand. And the last part of this line is perhaps the most important, to be loved as to love. The me first mentality can never get enough love. It's constantly searching, groping, grasping after love and affirmation and validation. We can never get enough love because we fear that we're somehow unworthy of love. Paul says in the passage, don't think too highly of yourself than you ought. Precisely because he knows that behind every inflated human ego is a deflated human spirit. Thinking too highly of ourselves is the first sign that we fear others must think less of us than we really are or hope to be. That's when we'll do just about anything for love. We'll beg, borrow, and steal just to get it. But the you-go-ahead mindset of Jesus knows there's more than enough love to go around. It doesn't hoard it. It spends it freely. It grows more of it in the world. Stephen Ivory is a freelance writer. Years ago, he wrote a story for the LA Times. It was shortly after the death of the music legend Barry White. Ivory, in the column, wrote about an interview that he'd had with Barry White back in 1974. Ivory was 18 years old. He was working for a college radio station. Barry White, of course, the deep-voiced, sexy soul singer, was at the top of the music world with several hits, including Can't Get Enough of Your Love, Babe. On his way to the interview, while he was standing at the bus stop, Ivory started bragging to some complete stranger that he was on his way to interview Barry White. And the stranger said, I always thought Barry White was a cool dude. Think I could tag along? The stranger was in his early 20s carrying a small backpack, wearing denim tattered well beyond fashionable and a greasy blonde mane suggesting a bath was long overdue. Ivory said that he didn't think twice about his answer. Sure, I don't see why not. They got off the bus, they took an elevator, and suddenly they found themselves standing in Barry White's office. What was supposed to be a one-hour interview turned into an all-day affair. White played some of his unreleased music for them. He told jokes. At one point, as he was discussing the fruits of his career, White told them, Whatever you do in this life, never forget that love, not money, is what makes the world go round. At about five o'clock, when the stranger tagging along with Ivory excused himself to go to the restroom, Barry White looked over at Ivory and said, your buddy doesn't say much. What's his name again? Who? said Ivory. 
Your man, said White. The cat you came in here with. Ivory said, uh, you know, Barry, I don't even remember his name. I met him at the bus stop. He said he wanted to meet Barry White, so I brought him with me. The silence got Ivory's attention. The look in Barry White's curiously blank face immediately told him that he was in trouble. Let me understand this, White said, trying to comprehend what he just heard. You mean to tell me you met some strange cat you don't even know on the street and brought him into my blankety-blank place of business just because he wanted to meet Barry White? By then, he was nearly shouting. Ivory said it was too late to deny any of what he had just said, and it was a long way down out that window. So he conceded, uh, yes, Mr. White. And after a prolonged, tense silence, Barry White said to Ivory, man, that's beautiful. And bounding across the room, White administered a hug that nearly stopped Ivory's circulation. And when that stranger returned from the bathroom, White, without explaining, put a serious grip on him too. The stranger peeped at Ivory from around White's massive torso with eyes that asked, what just happened here? Smiling proudly, Barry White said, see, this is what it's all about, man. Love is my thing. I couldn't get away from love if I wanted to. And you guys just proved it. There is enough love to go around. We don't have to hoard it. We can give it away. And it comes back to us. Our takeaways for today, create space for others to heal using words only when necessary. Stand under with humility and you will be understood. Love comes back to us when we dare to spend it freely. Amen.
Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. And if you'd like more information, go to www.gosaintandrew.com. See you next week.